You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play. Wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Our conversation yesterday, and by the way, I, I want to take the time to thank those of you that that shared our podcast yesterday with Darius Slay. Uh, it was a great time. If you are here because you found that podcast on the internets, then welcome. We are very happy to have you here. Uh, but the discussion that opened that show about Rashawn Gary and the, the the Packers Twitter favorites that were selected immediately before Rashawn Gary got me thinking about something that I brought up on Twitter uh, yesterday, and that was that I realized we hadn't talked about the completion of the Saints trade in the draft from 2018, and I will always insist that at the time. Uh, you can you can grade these kinds of moves. Everyone says, well, we have to wait and see. We have to wait and see. But as a matter of process, we can grade the process. Did they trade a pick of value and get back commensurate or greater value for that selection? Unequivocally, they did. Okay? There's just, there is no empirical no quantifiable measure that is out there that suggests that the Saints gave up commensurate value to the Packers. The Packers got way above what that pick was worth when they traded it. Okay, so just from that standpoint, we can say, okay, that part of it, good trade. But then there is the passing on Derwin James. And I, look, it sucks if you're a fan that really wanted Derwin James. I was a huge Derwin James fan. I remain a huge Derwin James fan. But I will also say that over the course of you know, the, the, the process last year, and Derwin James was a special case, but I was thinking of Minka Fitzpatrick, for example, and Denzel Ward and their relation to one another and wondering, okay, a pure cover corner, what is his value? relative to sort of of jack-of-all-trades safety. Someone who probably is not going to be a ball hawk, who's not going to create a ton of turnovers, but is just going to be able to be deployed in a a bunch of different ways, thinking about Minka Fitzpatrick. This is before the draft itself. And I, I basically decided that I felt like the corner's impact was greater. And as a result, I stacked my board to reflect that. Now, Derwin James goes out and has an all-pro caliber rookie season. And a lot of Packer fans are looking at their safety room going, well, damn, he's someone that would have looked really good on our team. And I understand that. 
And, and you know, I, there, I got some fire takes on Twitter that were like, I think Derwin James is the second coming of Ed Reed. You know, he's better than Troy Polamalu, which like, can we can like, it's been a year. Can we pump the brakes a little bit on stuff like that? But now, even before now, Jair Alexander showed why the Packers traded back up to get him. And he is, ends up being their first round pick. They gave up the chance to, to draft Derwin James to get Jair Alexander. If Jair, Jair Alexander is good, if he's just good, Derwin James has to be like all time, one of the three or four best safeties ever to make the trade not worth it from just from a strict process standpoint, because you're getting a good player at a premium position cornerback. There is no more impactful way on defense to control a game, than slow down a passing game. So you need one of two things and really you need two of two things. You need a pass rush and you need coverage. And there's more and more evidence to suggest that coverage is actually more important. Now coverage is harder. One player can affect pass rush. One player cannot cover, not everywhere. You can affect the quarterback as one player rushing the passer. You cannot do the same thing in coverage. You cannot help your other corner cover better. But your pass rush, you can go get the quarterback and put pressure on the quarterback. So from a singular player, the pass rusher, I think the singular pass rusher is more important. But I have come around into believing coverage is more important overall than the pass rush. I do because there's there's so we don't I don't want to get bogged down into that conversation, but it is a conversation worth having at some point. You heard me ask Darius Slay yesterday, and he a cornerback, a cornerback who has supreme confidence in his own abilities was like, nah, it we need a pass rush, otherwise I'm screwed, and I get that. It, it's all part of the conversation here, but we have gotten far afield from the point of the, all of this. <laughs> Jair Alexander as a cornerback, if he becomes a good player, you get a good player and a future first round pick. And and all you have to do is pass on Derwin James. If Derwin James is an all pro and and Jair Alexander is, let's say, a pro bowl player, easy, easy, easy win for the Packers. And now we we were talking about before the draft that there is, you know, we, we do have to wait and see to do the full balance of the equation here because you still have to make that next first round pick pop. If you want to truly win the trade in all aspects, not just from theory, in theory, they won the trade. Theoretically, they won the trade. Process, they won the trade. Now you have to go execute. And they traded up to get Darnell Savage, a player that they did not think would have been there at 30 with their extra pick. I love Savage. He has been, you know, outstanding in in the spring, drawing rave reviews from coaches and players. And, you know, I have I have gotten some pushback on that. Is you know, isn't every player like that? Well, Jair Alexander was not. It was the case that Josh Jackson was more impressive early last year than Jair Alexander. Josh Jones was impressive in camp, but he was impressive in ways that you would expect someone with his size and athleticism would be in shells. Darnell Savage was impressing with his brain, with his football intelligence. That's a different kind of impressive. Kevin King was not getting rave reviews early in camp. So it is not the case that, oh yeah, that guy always looks great. No. 
And and in fact, we were not seeing the sort of rave reviews about Rashawn Gary, despite the fact that he was making plays and he was doing some interesting things. Now, part of that is he's a lineman. And so it's just different. It just looks different. And everyone understands that when you put the pads on, it is intrinsically different and importantly different. It's more important to see it with the pads on. If we think Jair Alexander is going to be good, and we do, then if Darnell Savage is also good, and and the 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 gradient of good, I don't know that it matters. If he's just good, the Packers win the trade. Even if Derwin James is you know an eight-time All-Pro or something, if he is as impactful as as like Earl Thomas, and the reason. And I, and I have I have gone back and forth on how I felt about this over the years. And the more I watch teams like the Patriots win consistently, and I know that they're an outlier, but I look around the league and I see these teams that win consistently, not all of them, and, and in fact, many of them, it's not about the virtuoso individual talents. The teams that are, you know, stars and scrubs, You've got three or four star players and then just a bunch of dudes and they carry your team. I worry about those teams because what you need in a 16-game season and then you need to win three or four games in the playoffs, you need depth and you need you need not just depth like the, the guys behind the starters. You need quality players at every position. You need no weaknesses. The more just good guys that you can put on the field at any given one time, there is the, there is this idea, and it is an idea that I subscribe to, that, that that team is greater than the sum of its parts. So you may say, okay, neither Jair Alexander nor Darnell Savage are as good as Derwin James. We don't know that, by the way. They could both be better, but... Even if it is the case that neither of them reach that just apex top defender type level, having two really good players or even just good players versus the one great player. I know a lot of people will say take the great player. If it's a quarterback, yeah. If it's a pass rusher, I think so. I really think that's it. I think at, at every other level when you're doing this comparison, you'd rather have the two players simply because you need more guys. Because one single player, unless they're a quarterback or a pass rusher, just doesn't impact the game enough to justify not having the guy at that other position. It's also the case that Green Bay drafted a player and Darnell Savage, who can make Jair Alexander better. So now you're not just taking Jair Alexander and saying, well, he's good, because he is good. And I think in year two, he could be a Pro Bowl, all-pro type cornerback. He's that good. He's that talented. He is that much of a playmaker and a tone setter. But you're taking Darnell Savage now with that other first-round pick that you got in the trade, and you are selecting a player who makes him better. And if we want to really broaden this out, Taking Rashawn Gary at 12 potentially makes Jair Alexander better too. What was the play against Minnesota that should have sealed the game? Clay Matthews creates a pressure, and it's easy to forget now. The game-sealing interception was caught by Jair Alexander off a of pressure. You get someone like Rashawn Gary. He can create some pressure. 
and Jair Alexander can can take advantage of those mistakes. You take someone like Darnell Savage. Alexander can be more aggressive. He can press more guys. And he can blitz a little bit more because now you've got a safety who can cover his back on the back end. You can, you can do different things if teams are afraid to throw deep because Darnell Savage is back there. They have to throw more underneath. That could mean more opportunities for Jair Alexander to make plays on the ball. And last year, he had the number one, according to Pro Football Focus, the number one contested ball rate in the league of passes thrown to him. No one contested more catches at the cornerback position last year than Jair Alexander. He is a playmaker. He plays a premium position. So, I, I mean, I think there is a case to be made here that even without the Savage pick, Jair Alexander can make this trade a home run by just being really good. A really good cornerback is probably more valuable than uh, an all-star safety, depending on what that safety does, especially if that safety is someone like Derwin James who is not a turnover machine. You know, he can affect the game in a ton of different ways, and he's really good and really impactful, but he's not Ed Reed. He's not Earl Thomas, you know, who could go out and get six, seven, eight interceptions, who is just an eraser in the passing game. It's just not who he is. He's an extremely versatile, extremely good player. Not a turnover machine yet. Jair Alexander could be. And and Darnell Savage could be too. So when you when you look at this trade now, we have, there's no more placeholders. There's no more theoreticals. There's no more, well, what ifs. No, the, the pieces are in place. The Packers traded their pick in 2018, the 14th pick, for a first-round pick, and then they traded back up to 17 to get Jair Alexander. They used that extra first-round pick to draft Darnell Savage. And what they gave up was the opportunity to draft Derwin James. If Darnell Savage is the player we think he is and Jair Alexander progresses the way that we think he can, then it's just we no longer have to have this conversation of should the Packers take in Derwin James because the inherent wisdom of the trade, the process, matches the results because by process, it's a great trade. And then you you have to execute it. And we're going to talk about this part of it in a second. The execution is critical because... The Kevin King trade looks a little different with some more hindsight. And we're going to talk about how hindsight plays into all of this. We're going to relate this back to Kevin King and TJ Watt, everyone's favorite topic on Packers Twitter. We're going to do that in just a second. But before we do, I want to remind you that the NBA offseason is one of the most fun times to be a sports fan, but it can be hard to keep track of everything that's going on out there, all of the rumors that are flying. For the latest takes on NBA free agency, follow all of the Locked On Podcast Network hosts on one Twitter feed at Locked On NBA Net. It's an awesome way to get all the latest from the local experts during NBA free agency. So follow on Twitter at Locked On NBA Net. So the reason I bring up Kevin King in all of this is because he is the go-to example that fans want to use when talking about these kinds of traits. And you say, well, you know, they, they, they did the so-called right thing, traded down, got assets, and then missed on the opportunity to draft T.J. Watt. They drafted Kevin King, who can't stay healthy, and Vince Beagle can't play. And here's here's what I, I think we need to understand, and and tying it back into 
the Jair Alexander and Darnell Savage part of this. Two years is not enough. It's not enough to judge these kinds of things. So again, you can judge the process of it. So in in 2017, when Green Bay traded back and they pass on the opportunity to draft TJ Watt, they trade down, they get the extra fourth round pick and they take Kevin King. In a vacuum, that was good value. It was good process for them. Kevin King last year looked like he was taking a step forward. He looked like he was going to be that legitimate corner that they needed. Couldn't stay healthy again. Now, the shoulder injury, they knew that was going to be an issue. They knew he probably needed surgery eventually. And so, you know, the rookie seasons, look, corner struggle, and he was hurt. He battled through it. That's a credit to him. Year two, he looks good early and then is dealing with injuries, ultimately ends his season. I think if the Packers had still been fighting for the playoffs, maybe things would have been different for him, but they weren't, and so they weren't. That's how this works. It's only year three starting. We've only seen him play two years. And so the same is true this year with this Jair Alexander trade-off. It's going to be true next year, and I have insisted forever that we have to wait at least three years to know what the deal is with draft picks. Some cases it's longer. Devontae Adams really needed four years before we saw, you know, that, that kind of top five level receiver. We knew he could be good by, you know, the end of his third season, but then in year four, he became a star. And, you know, now we're talking about him. He's one of the best five or six receivers in football right now. I don't think if let's say, so I, I'm going to take for granted that Jair Alexander plays better in year two than he did as a rookie because cornerbacks tend to struggle as rookies. The fact that he played so well is not only a credit to him, but it is also an indicator, I think, that the sky is the limit with him. I mean, I think he can be Chris Harris special. I think he can be really, really good. But Darnell Savage might not be great right away and probably won't be. Odds are he won't be. He could be good right away. Derwin James was. Darnell Savage, not the prospect Derwin James was. Now, the fit, love the fit. The fit is perfect. I think it puts him in an ideal position to succeed. His versatility is tailor-made for someone like Mike Patton. So he, he is in a good position to succeed. But remember, I don't want to hear from you in a year if Darnell Savage struggles as a rookie, oh, see, we should have taken Derwin James. It just doesn't work like that. You can't draft players only worrying about what they're going to do in year one or even year two. What you need for them to do, first of all, you need to build your team in such a way that you don't need constantly for your draft picks to come through and provide huge roles for you. That's just bad team building if that's what you're doing. What Green Bay did with Rashawn Gary, and the reason that I've come around a little bit on the pick is, They don't need him to come in right away and save their pass rush. If you draft Rashawn Gary at 12 and don't sign Preston or Zadarius Smith, or maybe even if you only sign one of them, the draft pick is not, uh, the wisdom of it is is, is not as strong. But if you can draft someone with high upside and athletic potential and someone who needs some coaching, and then you can give them that runway to be good and to grow and develop, then maybe you can create a star. The Packers didn't need Devontae Adams to carry their offense as a rookie. They didn't really need him to do it in year two or year three, really, either. 
Now, they needed more of him in 2015 than they gave him, but Randall Cobb also, they needed more from him than he gave them. Ditto for Eddie Lacy, ditto for Mike McCarthy, ditto for Aaron Rodgers, ditto for the offensive line. I mean, that was that was a fluky year. And then in 2016, that was when we saw Devontae Adams break out. The Packers need Darnell Savage to play right away. They they didn't they didn't really need Jair Alexander to be the guy that he was right away because of Kevin King and Tremont Williams and Devon House and the depth that they had there, Josh Jackson. I mean, they they had an infrastructure in place. Now, ultimately, they did need those guys because injuries happen. And and injuries are tough to predict. You don't anticipate. I mean, look, Jonah Williams was an Iron Man at Alabama. And before he even steps on the field in the NFL gets hurt. Some, sometimes, you know, there's a reason that the truism shit happens is a truism because it's true. And sometimes there's just no... There's no preventing it. There's no predicting it. So what could Green Bay have done better to to prevent this outcome with Kevin King? Well, maybe nothing. But also, his career's not over. So yeah, it would have been nice for the Packers to have had a pass rush last year or the year before. Uh, At least uh, an an individual player who could give them some pass rush. By the way, sack totals were pretty good last year. But let's be honest. How much does T.J. Watt change the outcome of the 2017 season? At all? At all? How much does T.J. Watt change the outcome of the 2018 season? Ultimately, those were flawed teams that suffered crucial injuries at the most important position on the field. 2018 went down the tubes for a number of reasons that were not just Aaron Rodgers injury related. He was not going to save that season. So if Kevin King comes out and is a good player this year, then we have to we have to stop talking about the TJ Watt thing. Even if TJ Watt is better because what you did was you traded down, you got a good player at a premium position and you got extra value to do it. Now, screwing up the fourth pick, that fourth rounder and and getting Vince Beagle a guy who can't even play in the NFL apparently. That's a big miss. And that matters. That goes on the record. But if Kevin King is a good player, it was still a good trade. It certainly was a good trade from a process standpoint. They didn't, they didn't kill the process. They didn't knock it out of the park. Green Bay now can knock it out of the park if Darnell Savage turns out to be a player. That was what was really going to send this trade over the top was they get a guy in Darnell Savage who can be a game changer. And if he can be, there's just going to be no more questions about whether or not they did the right thing. It will be obvious that they did. Now, that's still a big if. We don't know that that's true. But if that happens, we already know the outcome. And again, year one is not the time to make that determination. I like the way it looks right now. I'm not going to change my mind in all likelihood in a year about that because a year is not enough time to evaluate Darnell Savage. It's not enough time to, to evaluate Jair Alexander. We have to wait at least two years so that Jair Alexander can get through year three. So Derwin James, by the way, can get through year two and year three. This was something we were talking about in the Acme Packing Company Slack. Derwin James getting to play on a team loaded with defensive players made his life a lot easier. If he had been on the Packers last year, how much better is their defense? with all of the injuries at corner, with all of the struggles with the with the outside pass rushers because of injury and all the issues just at talent-wise there. 
He's not going to the All-Pro. He's not going to the Pro Bowl. So we have to remember that situation plays a factor here too. But And all of that is to say Green Bay has put these guys now in a position to succeed. It's up to them to win or lose on their own merits. And in a year or two, then we can start having substantive discussions about how the outcome of this trade matches with the process of it. All right, we're going to be back next week, and I'm going to bring you that Indomitian Sioux interview. That was a, a fun conversation as well. Uh, I got some really good feedback on the Darius Slay interview. So, again, I told you those things were coming. I told you my goal was to get some interviews. I you know, would love to have some more Packer players, but it just worked out that I got these guys. And so always going to do my best to bring you those when we get them. Uh, it does me a lot of favors when you guys leave reviews on iTunes. It helps push our numbers up. It helps other people find our show. And uh, it's just a nice thing to do. So leave a review and let other people know why you were listening to Locked on Packers. Subscribe if you haven't already on iTunes. If you're new on Spotify, Google Play, best way to never miss an episode is that way. But we are four times a week in the off season and four to five times a week during the season. So that's a lot of podcasts to keep track of. Best way to do it, subscribe. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that. It's 920-341-3775. Send me a message. Send me a voicemail. Let me know what you're thinking about Green Bay. I'm still here for all of your appetizer rankings. Send those to me. Uh, there's going to be more food discussions on the show. I'm, I'm telling you that right now. It's coming. So the best thing for you to do is to stay locked on Packers.